0: knowledge that you need a mentor so sometimes it's not easy for some people where you know sometimes you have new people to the field but they are not that young and so they have the feeling that they if the mentor is younger than them it would be complicated but then at the end of the day they realize that it's not about like you know being uh, taught something or whatever it's really uh you know working hand in hand to achieve their own purpose having like a coach you're someone who knows because not they know better it's just that they know more because they've been in their is uh, very uh, at the same place at, at before. That's it.
1: Are you ready to know what you don't know about Privacy Pros? Then you're in the right place.
2: Welcome to the Privacy Pros Academy podcast by KZN Privacy Experts, the podcast to launch, progress and excel your career as a Privacy Pro.
1: Hear about the latest news and developments in the world of privacy
3: and welcome to the Kaseant Privacy Pros Academy podcast. My name is Jamila and I'm a Data Privacy Analyst at Kaseant Privacy Experts. I'm primarily responsible for conducting research on current and upcoming legislation as well as any key developments. With me today as my co-host is Kaseant CEO, Jamal Ahmed. Jamal Ahmed is a Fellow of Information Privacy and CEO of Kaseant Privacy Experts. He is a leading global privacy professional, world-class trainer and lead mentor at the Privacy Pros Academy. Welcome Jamal.
1: Hi, Jamila. How are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm so excited for two reasons. Number one is thanks to all of the great work that you and the rest of the team have been doing. We've just been named as the top three best GDPR podcasts for 2021 by Threat Technology. And the reason I'm so pleased about that, I've actually looked at the data from four other different sources, and based on that, they've said we're in the top three. And given that we've only been going since February, and this is, I think, we're still under 20 episodes, I'm so delighted with that. And of course, we have an amazing guest, have Sarah joining us today. Uh, Why don't you tell us a little bit more about our guest?
3: We're very excited to introduce Sarah, who is our guest today. Sarah Taib is the Data Protection Officer at UGI International. A law graduate, Sarah was the Global Data Protection Officer at Ipsen Group and a Senior Associate at Hogan Lovells. Sarah is also the creator of the group Mentoring in the Data Privacy Field, which has over 350 members. And she is also the Vice Director of the French branch of the EADPP, the European Association for Data Protection professionals. Wow, what an interesting bio. Thank you for joining
0: us, Sarah. Hi, thanks for inviting me. That's a pleasure.
3: We're looking forward to getting to know a bit more about you and your career. But first off, as we always do on this podcast, is the icebreaker question. So what is the best piece of advice you've ever been given?
0: Oh, wow, that's a good question. Let's say follow your dreams, go ahead, and you'll succeed.
3: That is a great piece of advice.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And I think it applies to all of us, privacy or non-privacy people.
3: Definitely. I think whether you're in the sector or not, I think follow your dreams is a great piece of
0: advice. As privacy people, we have lots of dreams, obviously, with (laughs) all going going on.
1: Absolutely. You you need to stay steadfast and committed to your dreams. Otherwise, if you give up, you're never going to realize your dreams because nothing good is easy. Jamila, what's the best piece of advice you've ever been given?
3: My mum told me to always moisturize my neck. Okay. That's what ages first. Really? Yeah. And there's a picture of my mum up here, which is why I looked. And I was like, oh, she did tell me that to do. Okay. You know
0: what? My mum told me the same, but I don't do it.
3: <laughs> I always forget. But there you go.
0: <laughs> you see? The best piece of advice I think I've
1: ever been given, and I'm not sure how appropriate this is for our Privacy Pros Academy. They said to me, it's better to apologize than ask for permission.
0: And that's a good one.
1: <laughs> yeah, it does me a lot of trouble. But, um, yeah. <laughs> but it does help to make things happen in any case.
0: I have heard that one before. Right. <laughs> it's an
3: interesting one. Awesome. Right, let's get to know more about you, Sarah. So what first sparked your interest in data privacy?
0: I had some classes at the university, but it was not like a passion at that time. And I have to say, I came to privacy by a total accident. Became a passion, but it was an accident. I'll be quick, but I'll tell you the story behind it. I dated between being an m and lawyer or an IP lawyer but not a privacy lawyer because at the time it was not very trendy to be a privacy lawyer and it almost did not exist back in 2007 when I started mm-hmm. and so I did the training at Freshfields in the corporate team and I realized I hated corporate I loved the people in the firm but I hated corporate the choice was made so I wanted to be an IP lawyer and so I decided to pursue an IP certificate at the University of Richmond where I was studying and then I looked around the training in IP because then my dream was about to come true. And so I had an interview and I was hired by a Lovels at the time, which became Hogan Lovels. But there was a misunderstanding. So I thought I was going to be in the IP team while I was in the IP empty team, but in the empty section of the IP empty team. So I was supposed to do IP and I did media and technology and including data protection, but out of nowhere because I wanted to do IP. And so by accident, I learned about privacy from scratch and it was like love at first sight from the very first day I was like I love it this is my dream I love it you know life is great (laughs) full of surprises and nice accidents so that's how I came to privacy and I worked with great people at Hogan Lovells and taught me everything I know today
1: did you get to work with Eduardo?
0: Eduardo Yustaran is the best
1: Awesome. Amazing. There you go. We shared a client in common with Eduardo for one of our real estate portfolios, which was amazing. And working with him, it's definitely an experience. Definitely. Oh, yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah, he knows.
1: <laughs> All right. My next question for you, is: you said it was love at first sight, but what was it about privacy that really got your attention and made you fall in love with
0: it? It's different when you're in a law firm and when you're in house, obviously. So as a lawyer, it was so challenging and exciting to be a lawyer in privacy because you would work for the in the finance industry in the healthcare industry, in the insurance industry, everything. You could work for social media, everything. In the same day, you could have so many questions from different people. It was like every day was different. And I actually I remember the sentence that my manager was telling me almost every day, like ready for new adventures. And every day was a new adventure. Every day was so different for mm-hmm. so many clients, m- so many questions and challenges. So that's what I really, really like. And as an in-house lawyer, as, as a GPO, I think the passion is different. I think what I really like as privacy pro is talking the same thing and in the same day, you can talk to the CEO, do a training to the marketing team, and also talk to the supervisory authority on so many topics, do a DPIA and, and handle an incident. They can be full of surprises, bad and good, and you have so many things to do at the same time. So it never stops. We have so many news coming in, like UK adequacy, yes or no, privacy regulation, so much going on that it's never ending. It's a passion. I mean, how can you not be passionate about it? I mean, people internally don't understand me, <laughs> but obviously i think it's obvious that it's uh it can only be a passion i love it
1: <laughs> thank you i love your answer and your passion definitely is coming through there very clear <laughs> for everyone to hear my question for you you just tapped on it there and this wasn't one of the questions jamil had planned by the way So you mentioned uk adequacy what do you make of the news yesterday where they've asked for it to be reviewed what are your thoughts on that uh,
0: i was a mess i was like no No, no, you can do that. Don't do that. (laughs) I'm a very optimistic person, but here I'm losing it. I'm losing my optimism. Like, yeah, I, I think it's almost over, but let's keep this little light and let's see if we can have some better news. But I think we're almost lost here and we will need to do so many nice SCCs and supplementary measures that we we could live without. Now we have so much to do on this side. I think it's a very, very bad news for privacy pros. I think it'll keep us very busy. (laughs) Sure, when you're outside. (laughs) When you're inside, you're always just so busy. I mean, we are all busy, but internally we, we were hoping for better news.
1: Yes, okay. If the UK is deemed not to have an adequate level of protection, given how the data protection laws, UK Data Protection Act almost mirrors and matches the GDPR. What do you think that means for other countries who are already deemed as adequate? But we know the review hasn't taken place after four years as it should have done. What do you think that means to them?
0: Officially, it doesn't mean anything to them. They are adequate. And so they are part of a separate mechanism. We don't touch them. We are our friends. We love them. And we transferred all our data to them freely. And we were a sigh of relief. Like, at least we have some friends. That's officially, that's what we are supposed to do. But then your question is very interesting because then if the UK is not adequate, who is adequate? I mean, they were our best friends a couple of weeks ago, they were like the same, we're on the same level. And now all of a sudden, they are like an enemy. So that's very hypocritical to say that if the UK is not adequate, then who is monitoring if the other are still adequate? And uh, the UK is a little bit different because we have this surveillance legislation that we may not have in all of the other legislation in the uh, adequate countries. But I haven't heard about such knowing in a way I mean knowing for the European commission as surveillance legislation in the other countries I think that this piece that we are
1: I, I don't discussing. know if I agree with you on that Sarah I mean I know you're the lawyer but when it comes to a country let's just say Israel and we're talking about surveillance surveillance practices that Israel has it's a lot more intrusive than what we have in the uk
0: yeah when the adequacy decision was given they had this in mind they knew about it and they took the decision I'm not saying it's good or bad but I'm saying that that was part of the analysis here in the UK when they make the analysis they decide that it's not that great so maybe they have double standards whatever that I'm not going into that at all and I have no idea how they handle that but here that's the key point and so maybe they should go back to all the adequacy decisions they made and look into that but I wouldn't advise doing it because <laughs> I don't want to have even more work but I think I think right now we have enough on our plates, so let's stick yes. to the UK and then maybe later, like. In 10 years, <laughs> let's do something different. But we have enough with uh, with the US and the UK right now.
1: All right, cool. Now that I've got you on call, there was a discussion I was having in one of the uh, study groups. I think it was actually in our Privacy Pros Academy on Facebook with uh, somebody quite new to privacy. I think they were studying for the exams and they were quoting word for word some of the actual law text from the GDPR. And one of the things they said is adequacy decision needs to be reviewed after four years. So it's only valid for four years. And if it's not reviewed after four years, that country is deemed no longer adequate. I said, if that's the case, I would eat my hat. (laughs) And one lawyer, they wasn't taking me very seriously. What would you say as lawyer to that same challenge?
0: Making sure that the adequacy decision is still accurate. I mean, it's it's still still valid. valid. Even though it hasn't been
1: reviewed after four years, the fact that it's still valid and we can safely send uh, data over there without fear of enforcement action.
0: You know at the end of the day, what counts is whether they are on the list of the European Commission. Yeah, you need to. I mean, there are the lawyer side, I mean, the legal side of things and the practical side of things. We need mm-hmm. to be practical. Where if we're looking into little things of what not totally consistent, etc., then it would become a nightmare. There are listed, let's pretend everything's fine <laughs> again. You know, if we are bored, why not? Let's sign a petition saying let's review all the adequacy decisions. But I think, again, we have enough. <laughs> on our plates. <laughs> but I yeah, no, no, But again, it's true. Uh, strictly speaking, I totally agree. The adequacy decision should be reviewed. Otherwise, we come to a situation of the privacy shield. Why was the privacy shield an issue? Uh, in addition to all other issues about national legislation in the, the US, it's also because there was no monitoring and uh, we didn't have enough reviews. So that's one of the issues that was raised. So indeed, that's an issue. But Maybe the European Commission has enough as well, enough of their plate as well.
1: I'm sure they do. I love what you said there about taking a pragmatic approach. And that's one of the things that we focus on through the previously Pros Academy. We need to be pragmatic. We want to go out there and we want to solve. We want to be enablers for business. We don't want to sit there and nitpick at every little thing and say, you can't do this or you can't do that. We are there as enablers. And a lot of people ask the question about data privacy. Do you see as a sword or a shield? When it comes to data privacy, Sarah, how do you see it? Do you see as a sword or a shield?
0: I think you need to be both. I think you need to show, at least when you're a DPO internally, you need to be a partner for sure. Every time I like, for example, last time I was reviewing an email prepared by my trainee and she was more the lawyer style. like You need to do this. Mm. You need to do that. I'm like, no, no, we, it's a we. We are partners. We are colleagues. They are our internal clients. But at the end of the day, we are colleagues. We are in part of the same group. So we're not telling them what to do. We're telling them how we will do it together. I never say no to anyone. Not because I'm too nice, just because there's no no, there's how we will do it how we will find ways to do things. Because otherwise, I'm just here because we need a DPO. We are required to have a DPO. That's not the point. The point is to make sure that what we're doing is compliant. That's it. But that we help the business achieve their objectives. Someone will be uh, the one helping you achieve your goals. But then you need to explain the rules. And so in a way, we are here to explain the rules. People need to know, to be trained, to all the legal aspects. And then you help them conduct their business with legal aspects in mind.
1: That's amazing, Sarah. It sounds like uh, you've been to Privacy Pros Academy. That's the exact (laughs) same approach that we put forward. And there's too many people, especially on platforms like LinkedIn saying, oh, you can do this or you can't do that. It's not about whether you can and can't do that. It's how do we do this? How do we do this while safeguarding those fundamental rights and freedoms to the individual? And how do we achieve compliance and protect our clients or our businesses and make sure we protect them from enforcement action, from reputational damage, and make sure that we're inspiring and cultivating trust and confidence amongst our stakeholders at the same time.
0: Exactly. And if I can add, add something, it's, there are two key words as well to add is the risk analysis and the balance. You need to balance the interest, which is a principle, of course, in the GDPR balancing test, and also the risk analysis. You may take, this is not what we do because we are quite conservative company and we don't take too much risk. But you may do a risk analysis saying we don't want to be compliant on this aspect because it's so important to our business model that we decide not to be compliant, but we keep our position and we can argue why our position is okay; It's not perfect, but it's okay. I mean, it's not necessarily what I do in this company, but this is what I had advised in the past as a lawyer or in my previous company. You need to always do this risk analysis. It's not black or white. I
1: agree with you. And depending on which organization you're working with in which industry the risk appetite is going to differ from one place to another so there is no one size fits all it's whatever is in the best interest of whoever you're presenting at that time, I guess. So thank you for sharing that.
0: Exactly. And even within one company, you can have a team who could have a bigger risk appetite than another one, for example. I
3: found that discussion very interesting. I was just sitting <laughs> listening to you. <laughs> Your passion really comes through in, in everything that you say, Sarah. But what is it that you love most about working as a DPO?
0: Seems maybe too nice, but it's really helping others in a way. As I was saying, I, I have the feeling that I help at my level, uh, the business do things properly in a compliant manner but still do what they were supposed to do that what they wanted to do sometimes they are surprised that you're sure we can do it? I'm like, yes, why not? But we will do it the right way. But we will do it. And I think it's really accompanying the the business, making sure they understand the rules and making sure that that we work together hand in hand. So what I really like. And also all the challenges that it entails, all the communication skills that you need. It's so fun to be a DPO because you need so many skills. So then you you can be a master of all of them, but you can at least try. And for example, going from the law firm to being in-house, I saw the different skills you need. You don't need the same skills when you're a lawyer, when you're an in-house DPO. It's totally different. And in-house, you need many, many skills. You need to communicate differently to the different people. Of course, you will not communicate in the same manner to the leadership team and to the HR team. Depending on the levels, uh, depending on the topics, on the the projects, you will need to communicate differently. You need to communicate very regularly and try to be fun. Sometimes try to be more serious, to carry sometimes with the fear of sanctions. Every day you need to change yourself, your approach. You need to adapt to the projects you are presented. You need to adapt to the the people. You need to adapt if you talk to the authority, if you talk to your colleagues. Mm -hmm. It's always evolving, always new stuff, always different positions to take and analysis and risk to take. Mm -hmm. So it's lots of fun.
3: And the first thing you mentioned was about helping people and how passionate you are about that. And that kind of ties into your passion around mentoring. So why is it important for someone to have a mentor in the data privacy industry?
0: So this group came because I am uh, part of the the IAPP mailing list. And so people Mm -hmm. ask questions you can answer or or not. And yeah, yeah, there are so many questions, like maybe 10 every day there was someone who was asking for a mentor. It was saying, okay, I am a U.S. lawyer. I don't remember his profile, but it was as I'm very new to the field and would anyone accept to be a mentor for me? And I was like, yeah, why not? I'm a U.S. lawyer as well. And I love helping people uh, advance in their career. Why not? I can be your mentor. And then I saw like 10 to 20 messages of people saying, oh, can you be my mentor as well? Can you be my mentor? I'm like, Okay, so I have a job, (laughs) but what I can do is maybe create a group. So much demand for it. So I will create a group. And so I I know many, many great people in the field. So I can add them, add uh, some mentors, mentees, and then we can make connections and people can find a new mentor to their needs. So this is how it started. And so I think it works quite well. It requires some work. So sometimes it doesn't really move. I don't do more, don't do much on it. And sometimes I, I can find some more time for it. Try to really fit the needs of specific people who really want to move forward in their career. So uh, if someone is really like based in this specific country and wants to be a privacy consultant, I will put them in touch with privacy consultant with more senior in their own country. So maybe one day they can meet face to face Mm -hmm. and uh, try to make one-to-one connections. I think it's it's very nice. It's another way to help people, and this privacy world full of uh, great people.
1: Absolutely, and I think this whole mentoring aspect is what really uh, drove me to create the Privacy Pros Academy, because I could see that most people they're just one good mentor away from success, and success is so much closer than they think. But. The mistake a lot of people often make, they spend a lot of time, energy, wasting it on trying to figure it out themselves. When all they need is one mentor who's been there, done that, knows the path and can point them in the right direction and offer them that support when they need it. And I think that's why some of the mentees that we have at Privacy Pros Academy do really well because they've identified, I need a mentor. They're saying, look, I know what you've achieved. I can see it. And I just want to follow that proven formula to get from where I am to get to where I need to be. So I share your values when it comes to mentoring there as well. That's what got us in touch with each other. So I'm really delighted.
0: I think you need some humility to acknowledge that you need a mentor. So sometimes it's not easy for some people who are new people to the field, but they are not that young. And so they have the feeling that if the mentor is younger than them, it would be complicated. But then at the end of the day, they realize that it's not about being taught. It's really you know, working hand in hand to achieve their own purpose, having a coach, you someone who knows because not they know better; it's just that they know more because they've been in this uh, very same place before. So it's really about uh, helping people and there's no like hierarchy.
1: Coming back to Jamila's first question, what's the best piece of advice you've ever been given? And I remember when I was at Kingston University in one of the um, extracurricular sessions, there was a great speaker who came in and he said, a lot of people say you learn from mistakes. And yes, you can learn from mistakes and you learn when you fail, but it's expensive. It takes time and it takes a lot of energy. You don't have to make the mistakes yourself to learn from them. Someone can leverage from other people's mistakes. And I think that's where mentoring really comes in. I've made the mistakes along the way. You don't need to make the same mistakes. I can help you to avoid those mistakes. And I remember at one point, I went through so many different groups on Facebook. You have groups on LinkedIn. You have groups on WhatsApp. And I went to so many different groups saying, hey, I want to be the best privacy professional that I want to be. Where can I go to get some inspiration? Where can I go to find some knowledge? Where can I go to find the right people? And the thing that really frustrated me, Sarah, was... There were so many groups there with people with the wrong mindset. All they wanted to do was to learn how to read a book. Sometimes they didn't even want to read a book. They just wanted to buy some exams and go and learn how to pass an exam. And I was like, this is not what I stand for at all. I want to know what I do. I want to be a person of value. I want to bring value to the table. I'm passionate about this. I want to go out and make a difference. I don't want to learn how to pass an exam so I can get a well-paid job. There's plenty of other ways of doing that. I want to be the best privacy professional I can and because of the lack of what was already out there. It's really what drove me and my team to create the Privacy Pros Academy the network that we have on Facebook, the network we have on LinkedIn, and of course, these podcasts as well. So and thank you very much for highlighting the value of mentoring.
0: Thanks for the great job you're doing. That's awesome that people can rely on you to find mentors and to have some coaching behind all this experience of becoming a privacy pro. That's amazing. It's truly a privilege and an honor.
3: So would you say that someone should have a mentor no matter what stage of their career they're in, even if they're relatively experienced? Do you think there is always benefit in having a mentor?
0: Oh, of course, there's always a benefit. It's not always easy to find a good mentor at all stages. It's easier when you just start because you can learn from anyone, basically. But uh, of course, I myself have a mentor. I mean, I'm a partner of organ Lovells, for example. It's uh, always great to uh, to hear what they have to say, pieces of advice. As might said, they, they did in the past. A very, very good way of learning without making yeah. the mistakes yourself. That's a perfect piece of, of advice, I think. And so of course, at every stage, you need some mentoring. But sometimes you need this degree of humility to, uh, to accept it. Because sometimes you feel, oh, but I'm a seasoned professional who can teach me anything, (laughs) you know. (laughs) And so, but I think you can learn at all age and uh, any stage of your career. Otherwise, it's boring. You Can imagine if you have nothing to learn?
1: I think this is the thing. When you go and find people with the right mindset, you realize that actually these are the people that actually value having a mentor. And I have different mentors in different areas of my life. So, for example, when it comes to business, when it comes to my personal life, when it comes to privacy. And one of the things I find is my mentors have mentors and those mentors have mentors as well. So it never stops. And if you're someone who's committed to self-development, you're committed to being the best, there will always be a mentor. And sometimes you have to invest in yourself to give yourself the opportunity to have the best mentor for that stage of life that you're in.
0: And thanks to forums like LinkedIn, for example, you, the mentor doesn't even know they're a mentor. You know, you can follow someone who is great that you don't even know, but you you mm-hmm. love their post, you love the way they think and they're practical or anything. And you can just follow what they they say and they can be a, an unofficial mentor. You know, I have some people I follow, I, I think are great. There are many people I I think are great in the privacy world. So they are not my mentors, but I I really like their posts. I really like their way of thinking. So you you can find ways to find people. It's not real mentors, but it's people to follow in a way that our world now, we can follow people and they don't even know if we follow them. Mm. (laughs) That can be creepy.
3: (laughs) (laughs) So apart from having a mentor, what advice would you give to someone who's starting out in data privacy?
0: That uh, goes back to what Jamal said. It's just about books. Of course, you need to know the GDP if you want to practice in the EU in the privacy world, but you need to get away from your books at some point because the soft skills are very, very important, at least as an internal DPO, because you know, you need to You're aware, maybe it's not the case in all companies, but I think in most companies, unfortunately, privacy is still something people don't want to hear about. They must do it. They know they have to do it. But frankly, it's more a problem than anything else. So if you don't come with a fun approach or at least some not too horrible approach, if you're nice, if you make it something not to worry about, but something to really care about, something that you they understand the value behind it, it's hard when you're like a standout company in a way. For example, we sell gas and electricity uh, in my company. It's hard to understand, okay, the value behind compliance with privacy rules. But you need to understand the value of trust, the value of a reputation that everyone understands. And everyone understands that it's good to do the right thing. That's, you know, it's compliance, not just GDPR. We have many rules. It's not just one rule. People need, know they need to follow the rules, but we need to make privacy something not too annoying. It goes back to the communication skills. So I think the people new to the field need to understand that they need to, uh, as we say, the business partner to be pragmatic, to make the matter interesting and fun. Sometimes it's not easy to make it fun. You don't talk to people who are friends sometimes, but still, at least your presentation needs to be something nice to see, a subject not too legal. So that would be my piece of advice.
1: Absolutely. So Sarah's top advice there is make it fun, make it approachable and show how you actually here to help rather than hinder and get in the way. And one thing I found, Sarah, and I'm sure you'll agree with me, is when you come with that approach that you have just described, people actually start telling you the truth. Uh, When you don't come with that approach, you never discover the truth until it blows up in your face. Because oftentimes people feel like, oh, you're here to call them out or you're here to get them in trouble or you're here to stop them from doing what they're doing. And unless you come with that, hey, I'm here to help, I'm approachable, let's make this fun, you are not going to get into that. What's your experience of that been like?
0: So it really depends on people. So that's what you also need to adapt to people. Sometimes you don't know people before talking to them. So you need to adapt in the middle of the conversation, but you need to be yourself in a way. If it's something you really like, like privacy is your passion. Like for me, people will see it. It will be obvious to people that it's a topic that can be interesting and not just a legal check. Sometimes people come to see me and say, do you approve the project? I'm like, I'm not here to approve anything. You are in charge of approving the DPIA. I'm here to help. I'm here to make recommendations. I'm not here to decide. I'm not the data controller. You know, in the DPIA, when they complete the form, usually they complete it as a first stage and then Mm -hmm. I do the analysis with them. Usually in the data controller section, they put Sarah Tayeb. I'm not the data controller, (laughs) I am the DPO. I'm here to help you make things compliant. So we need to really make things clear from the beginning, explain there are rules, of course, we're going to comply with them, but let's make sure that your projects to be the one you wanted at the very beginning with some adjustments. And so uh, if you explain that at the very beginning that you're not here to be annoying, it works. And so if add the fun and the passion, you're on top. Yeah. Awesome.
3: And I guess those are skills that you can't only learn in a book when you're studying for. for exactly.
0: The, you know, but you know, there are different types of DPOs, and you can be very successful with a different time. You'd- Everyone doesn't need to be fun. And, you know, you're very serious GPOs who are very good at their work. It's not an issue about the personality. It's more soft skills and listening to people. You know, you need to listen to what the project is about. You need to listen to what people do in practice every day to understand their needs, to understand why the project is so important to them, why they need their data, why the data needs to be sent to the U.S., who is going to receive them, what will they do with it. But you need to really put yourself in their shoes and say, OK, if I were the finance director in the U.S. and I'm consolidating all the data. Will I want to have this data? Yes, of course, I need it to do something totally relevant and totally, uh, for me, it's totally legal. So I'm going to say, it's fine. If you need it, we will put rules around it. You know, We will restrict the number of people, etc. We will put minimization uh, in place, etc. But at the end of the day, you really need it. So I need to understand why you need it and what you're going to do with it. And if you don't understand the needs of your internal client, then you're useless. So much
1: value in every single answer you're giving here, Sarah. Oh, thank you. This is my favorite episode today so far.
0: Oh, really? That's very nice Absolutely. of you. Just, I'm so happy. Like, you can see
1: how much I'm greeted. to i that happy. But you're pretty much saying all of the things that I've been trying to to. Oh, and great. No, Sarah, I've explained it to you a little bit about the academy to you. Why do you think it would be valuable for someone who is looking to either start or enhance the curing data privacy to come and join the academy?
0: From what you told me about it and what my own research on, on you and, and and your program, it seems to be very, very relevant when you start doing privacy to go through. Uh, it's a shame that I didn't know about it because I would have advertised it, and I can now do it because uh, it's a great approach. It's a holistic approach. So you have some, if I understand correctly, and you correct me if I'm wrong. You have some coaching, you have some legal aspects, and the book program about putting some into a star, <laughs> someone who is new to a DPO star or consultant star. So I think it's a great program. So you have all the aspects covered. And so the person seems to be really uh, accompanied in, in this adventure, which can seem to be like too much for one person. And then you're here to tell them it's okay. The fact that you help them with the CIPP, it's a great value because I, I don't have it to, to be honest. I don't have the CIPP, but I think nowadays, because I'm an old uh, privacy pro, but nowadays if you want to be a privacy pro recognized in the field, you you... Don't need to have the CIPP, but great. I think it's a great package that you offer. So you have the, the exam, you have the, the practical aspects that you mentioned, the coaching. I think everyone should go for it.
1: You have the holistic package. The, the, one of the questions I was actually asked, how did you come up with this whole thing? And I said, look, I went around, and used my mistakes and everything that worked for me. And I put that into a proven formula and a strategy. We tested it out with a few people. And now we know there's a proven formula that works but it all starts off with mindset. A lot of people have been told they can't do th- and they've had some challenging experiences. We take away all of that negativity and we build them up with a growth mindset, get rid of any self-limiting decisions any self-limiting beliefs, get rid of anything that's holding them back that is no longer true. And we'd say, hey, let's go and be the person you want to be. Show up as your future self from today so you can become that person by the time you transform through the academy. And it's a full transformational process. So we take them from where they are now all the way through the end where they graduate as world-class privacy professionals. And as you mentioned, we take them through all of the theoretical stuff. We help them to attain the certified information privacy professional from the IAPP. So make sure that they've got some actual credentials behind everything they've been doing. Their whole idea is we break down all the elements of European data protection law. So not only do they know enough to go and attain their certification, but they can actually have a conversation with me or you or any other privacy pro be confident because they know they're competent and they're the subject matter expert. And it's only when I'm confident that they're competent and confident on each area that we move on to the next. And I'm coupling the theory with the practical assignments. We don't just teach them what you have to do or what you need to know. We show them how does it actually apply in a pragmatic and practical way where you're actually going and helping the business. You're enabling them to do the how and not telling them yes or no kind of thing. And then Once they have the theory, they have the certification, they have the mindset, of course, they want to go out and they want to earn some money. They want to make a difference. They want to put their contribution to the world. And what they really need help with there is the personal branding. And I haven't found any academy or transformational teaching program that helps them to demonstrate their best self. So we help them with the personal branding. So we have a team of career coaches who will go through their CV. We often help them rewrite their CV. We help create a LinkedIn profile. We talk to them about LinkedIn activity. Over 80% of recruiters are on LinkedIn. And for them to be able to have the best chances, they need to make sure that they're attracting those opportunities to them. So we help them with the credibility and authority and we package webinars together. We actually help them to go and give back to society. One of the things we did recently is for the charity sector, we gave some practical advice on how to draft privacy notices if they're not fit for purpose. So they actually make a significant contribution throughout the academy as well and it's not just about them but it's about what you can do for others and through the program we can see the transformation from when you have a look at the initial onboarding interview to how they're glowing and full of life and so confident in the exit interview and you know what that's what makes it all worth all of the hard work that the whole team puts behind it When we see them get from here sometimes they even double their income and have the life that they truly deserve at the end of it it's just magical
0: wow this is very impressive I think the people who are part of the program are very lucky.
1: We're the lucky ones. We have the honor and privilege of helping them throughout their journey.
0: Wow. So it's a win-win situation. Perfect. I want to hear more about
1: the EADPP, Sarah. We've heard a lot about the Academy, and now it's time for you to tell us about the EADPP.
0: So we just started maybe... couple of months ago to regroup. We are like maybe 12 members or so, 15 members maybe, just the French branch. But we try on the French side of things to make things move with uh, some humility, but to at least among ourselves, make sure that we get to a common standard So uh, on specific topics. And so my first idea was uh, really to, to make sure that we address the most important topics nowadays, as you know, which is international transfers. When I say it's the most important topics, it's more in terms of finding a solution. In my opinion, we are so at lost on this topic. If I'm not wrong, I think it's the only topic where we have absolutely no guidance from French perspective from the CNIL. We have a silence. We don't know what they want us to do. And mm. they have not issued anything. Normally, they issue guidelines, et cetera. Here we have nothing. So, what we intend to do is among ourselves plan to draft a protocol, a questionnaire, and transfer impact analysis assessment, draft one that we all agree on, on the members, and then go to the CNIL and try to find a way for them, not necessarily to approve what we're doing, but maybe have a, a working group or the, maybe other associations, member of associations or with the CNIL or whoever wants to p- a partner with us to make sure that we have something that approves the, the help of the CNIL that we can move forward with something saying it's good. Maybe it's not perfect. Maybe it's not the solution, but it's something that works because otherwise we have almost nothing. We just have the recommendation from the EDPB and the recommendation needs recommendations. Uh, or guidance. And it's really, really hard as a privacy pro in-house when you are a DPO to advise internally, you just inform uh, your stakeholders about the fact that there is a big issue and you're like, we'll find a solution. We don't know yet what it is, but we'll find one. And then you're, you're like in front of your computer. Okay, what, what will I do? What should I do? And there's no One size fits all solution for all transfers. We all know this. And so we need to still find a way to address this in a pragmatic manner. To me, the the best solution is specific questionnaire to the vendors, depending on when they host the data. So if it's in in the US, you would have more questions, obviously. And to make sure that at least it's not a perfect solution, but at least from an accountability perspective, you can show that you've done something and that what you've done makes sense. Maybe it's not perfect, but if you have an inspection or if you have questions even from your customers, you can say, okay, this is what we're doing. So far, we may do better, but so far, at least we've taken some steps because we can just Uh, wait until we have some guidance it doesn't work this way so we need to be the proactive and this is the way i found to be proactive here by uh, asking the the french branch of the eadpp to focus on this matter for for the moment we are working on this but we will focus on other matters later but (laughs) this one will take a certain amount of time so step by step but uh so it's a new initiative and i hope we can be uh, successful with it
1: Yes. Thank, thank you for sharing that with us. And if there's anything that we can do to reach out to our community and our networks to aid, assist and support, just let us know and we'll make sure we get those communications out. Thanks. All right. Thank you so much for your time. I realize we're coming to the end. We've got one or two more questions. Sure. All right, cool. I'm going to ask this one, Jamila. If, go for it. <laughs> have you got a favorite client story you want to share with us? And it could be something that's a little bit humorous or fun.
0: A little sad and a little funny. It okay. was when I was a lawyer at Hogan Lovells and I had a client who wanted to have a FaceTime with me at 11 p.m. And not it was not uh hitting on me. It was just because you know it was so stressed about the, the day I've had he had a meeting with the leadership team and he wanted to review everything with me. And I, I realized that we are so important in a way, you know, we have an impact on uh on projects, not only on projects, but also on people we reassured them. But at that time I was a lawyer, so it's more the, the lawyer's time to reassure your clients. But I think internally as an in-house lawyer, you also need to be this person who makes sure that people understand that it's going to be fine. The end of the world is not going to happen even if you have an incident, even if you have an inspection. An inspection is not fun. and But still, you're not going to die. It's, it's all right. This, this experience, I... I I accepted I'm, I'm the worst because I should have refused you know having a Facetime with a client at 11 p.m this shows you are crazy really so I am crazy and too nice that's something I know but uh, you know it shows there's no limit when you are uh, assisting clients on uh, privacy matters it doesn't seem to be like the most urgent matter in the world but uh, to some people in some projects it can be very important so we are heroes <laughs> in a way
1: all right awesome thank you so much for sharing that with us the other question is what what is the proudest moment of your career?
0: It's not a moment. I think I'm, I'm proud to be a, a mom of three while having a very, very nice career that I love and that I'm proud of. I, I think I'm proud of being part of this great community of privacy pros. It's absolutely uh, thrilling to do a job where, you know, you have so many aspects, so many things going on. I think people don't don't understand unless they are in. We are like a crazy world of some people who who know something people don't know. Not that I'm proud. I think I'm more lucky than proud of being able to do everything, you know, having on both personal and professional sides, being able to do... all at once because the privacy world is full of women and it's, it's half half according to the IAPP. So, uh, and I think we are a lot of working moms around there and working dads, by the way. And uh, so I think uh, it's more being proud than uh, of that. Awesome. Thank you.
3: That's really nice, really inspirational, I think, for people. Um, so our, our last question is for you to ask a question to
0: Jamal. Yeah, great, Jamal. So I, I would like to know how you came to privacy. Sorry to ask the same question you asked me. Uh, it's yes, you, you, that's okay. <laughs> your program is so complete that you must have gone through lots of stuff. What did you do before doing this program?
1: I was fortunate when I first graduated. One of the first roles I had was as a compliance or a business consultant. And as part of that, I would advise businesses looking to start up or looking to take their business to the next level. And one of the things I had to be aware of from the compliance point of view was the data protection regulation. We had the data protection Act like 1998. There was a couple of principles. We had to make sure we're demonstrating things. that. And I actually loved talking about that element of it because I thought it was so important. And in fact, I actually became the best person in the whole organization when it comes to talking about data protection. So that was kind of when I first came across it. And then I went more towards the compliance and went into financial services. I got a job with the regulator. And then I started reading on, on one, one occasion. I was reading something about this uh, GDPR. Um, I was like, there's no way companies like Microsoft and Google and some of the other companies that, that are not even that big is going to let this happen. This is this is just ridiculous. But to my surprise, it got accepted. And then the two year period came in for that to get uh, implemented. And I was like, wow, this is going to be a massive game changer. This is going to change the world. And at that time, going through some personal circumstances where I discovered that I was about to become a father for the first time. And I speak more about this in our earlier podcast, and I'll send you links to that. But for me, it was like, hang on a minute. I'm stuck in compliance right now, where pretty much what I'm doing is running processes, right? Let's not pretend it's anything other than running processes. This isn't how I want to live the rest of my life. This isn't what I was born to do. I actually want more than this. I want more meaning. I want more reward. I want more challenge. And I need more income. Uh, If I'm going to be a father and I'm going to look after my family, I can't be partying all the time. I need to think about the future. And that's kind of what drove me towards really taking (laughs) my privacy career very seriously. And that's when I started out on my search. And all of the different elements that work for me and all of the different mistakes I've made, that's what I've packaged into the previously Pros Accelerator program, which is why you kind of get that completeness, because I've taken everything that worked for me and that didn't work for me. And if you look at my background, I don't come from a privileged background. In a fortunate position, my, my parents were both immigrants. I grew up in the Ocean Estate, which um, a lot of people I grew up with are either in prison or on drugs or in in some other unfortunate places and most people there are in manual jobs not many people are fortunate enough to even go to university it was kind of the exception rather than the norm and so when you come from that background what I really want to do is I want to give back to the community I want to give back to people and I want to show people like regardless of your background right at the UK uh, right now privacy space is dominated by middle-class lawyers predominantly male. and I want to change that And one thing that I did at the end of last year was I was invited to a talk about how to bring diversity into privacy. And I said, you know what, I'm actually going to do something about this. And that's when I got really serious about trying to increase diversity and inclusion into data privacy, which is why we've been working so hard uh, from January to really go and fulfill that mission vision with purpose.
0: Well, very nice answer. I like it. Thanks for answering my question.
1: (laughs) Okay, we'll send you links to the podcast where I answer those questions in a bit more detail. So you can listen to it in a bit more detail as well.
0: Okay, great.
3: Thank you so much for joining us today, Sarah. I found what you had to say very inspirational, very interesting. I think I'll even listen back to some of the points you made. Thank you so much for joining us though. It's been a pleasure. Thank you
0: for inviting me. It was very fun.
3: If you enjoyed this
2: episode, be sure to subscribe, like and share so you're notified when a new episode is released.
1: Remember to join the Privacy Pros Academy Facebook group where we answer your questions.
2: Thank you so much for listening. I hope you're leaving with some great things that will add value on your journey as a world-class privacy pro.
1: Please leave us a four or five star review.
2: And if you'd like to appear on a future episode of our podcast
1: or have a suggestion for a topic you'd like to hear more about,
2: please send an email to team at caseant.co.uk.
1: Until next time, peace be with you.